0: Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We are almost at the conclusion of our series, looking at the letter to the church in Ephesus from Paul. Ephesians chapter 6. Praying that my voice holds out this morning. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 10 through 20. So when you found that, would you stand together with me as we honor the word of the Lord? Again, if you don't, we say this frequently, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles back at the back. We want you to have one of those. Uh, The word of God is a precious, costly thing. And we want want every believer to be armed with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, heaven, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, and with all prayers and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Lord, these words still resonate today. In our hearts. That this battle is too big for us. That our opponent is too strong for us. That we are not able to withstand the attacks of the evil one. That this world is so filled with darkness in this present age. That our meager light that we have of our own power is not enough to change it. And so again, we humbly come to you and we say, God, would you fit us? Not only with the filling of the Holy Spirit on the inside, would you cover us on the outside with the armor that you have given us? The armor of truth and righteousness, of salvation, which changes the way we think of the word of God that is a sword in our hand of the unshakable faith in Christ which extinguishes all of the darts of the evil one that he would throw against us. God, we are not able to withstand this enemy, but you have already defeated him. Lord, it is already finished. It is complete. Your victory has been accomplished on the cross. And so we don't come as those who are weak this morning, even though we are in our own strength. We stand as those who have been made strong in Christ Jesus. And so we pray, would you make your church strong? Would you make your church bold? Lord, not because of our strength or our boldness, but because of confidence in who our God is. Would you make your church rise victorious again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've mentioned in previous weeks and months going through this, how this letter to the church in Ephesus is divided up into two halves. Uh, The first half are all of the truths about God, all the truths about people, about salvation, even about our enemy about darkness, all of the indicatives, all those truth statements. And the second half of this letter is all of the things, if those are true, these are the things that it is imperative that we do, imperative that we believe. So the indicatives and the imperatives. And so as we conclude the second half here, Paul is basically coming to this fevered pitch of all these things being true. Uh, here is the adversary against which we stand. and it, it is necessary and vital that we put on Christ. He had told us earlier that because of these truths that we need to put off sin, put to death the sin that lingers within us, and put on Christ. And now he's giving in real, tangible ways. This is how you put on Christ. In the last chapter, he was, it was sort of like he's shooting the spectrum. So in your marriage, this is how you put on Christ. Children towards your parents, this is how you put on Christ. Parenting your children in the work environment, now he re-centers his guns at the whole church and says, aiming at everyone, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If the Christian life was easy and not a battle against internal sin and an external devil, you wouldn't have to be strong. You just have to be you. That is sort of our, our modern secular world. Just be you. They, they say there is no battle with sin because sin doesn't exist. There's no uh, objective right and wrong. There, there's no devil. There, there's no evil that would want to conquer you. Just be you. And if everyone is just them the argument goes, that our world would be a peaceful place. If we just let everybody have their own opinion and their own way, that our world would be peaceful, except we're forgetting that some of those just being you is filled with evil lurking in men's hearts. Evil that wants to bring destruction on good people. Evil that wants to bring destruction on the kingdom of God. This Christian life is not easy. It's not how it gets painted in the caricature of, oh, we're just, we're just wrestling with sin, like a dad wrestling with his five-year-old on the carpet. The, the, the fight isn't on, dads. I don't know if you, if you know this or not. You, you don't want to wrestle with all of your strength against your five-year-old, or you will destroy him. In fact, all you got to do is make it look convincing so that when he pins you and beats you in the end, uh, he feels really good about himself. That's kind of a good picture of the modern church, that people don't actually believe we're in a battle. We don't actually believe that we need the power of God in our lives, and that's expressed in the prayerlessness in most Christians' lives. That's the reason we don't pray. We don't actually believe that we need the power of God to overcome evil in the world and lurking in our hearts. We think I pretty much have it in myself. I'm just going to be me. And if I can be the best version of me, everything is going to work out great. And Paul says that doesn't work. You have to be strong in the Lord. Those very first words that he says there, be strong, are best understood in the passive sense, though. Not like, be strong, make a decision to work out, make a decision to bulk up and be strong. It's actually a different Greek word that's used there, uh, and the word is in the present passive imperative. In other words, it's not you being strong, it's be strengthened. That God is making you strong, that God is working within you to make you strong. It's the exact same word gets used in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, which most of you have on a coffee cup or some t shirt about making free throws, which is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is not, I can do all things in Christ because I've decided to be a strong Christian. That's not this word. It is an external strengthening, God strengthening you, which actually fits really well with Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus that we find back in Ephesians 3.16, where he says, I pray that you may be strengthened, same word, may be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. This means believers don't strengthen and empower themselves. This isn't something that you do or you work up to. This is a strengthening that only happens in The Lord, And every time we try and strengthen ourselves outside of God, outside of his strength and his might, God will let you have a go, and then he will demonstrate to you that your strength is not enough. Your power is not enough. The the things that you thought would secure you and comfort you are not enough. This is a strengthening that is in the Lord. It is not your own strength. Now follow this. We are to be strengthened in the strength of his might. So as he works on us to strengthen us, to encourage us, to plant our feet in the gospel, it's not in our own power, our own strength. It's actually in the strength of his might. This should give the believers unlimited confidence. How many of you have ever felt like you just had a week where your your weakness was just exposed for you the whole time? Man, that, that was my whole last week. Uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak, and I, trying to work on this sermon the first couple days, I couldn't even think straight. It, you can't get things lined up in your head, and it's so frustrating to feel bodily weak, to feel mentally weak. But we can take comfort, church, in the fact that our strength is not our own power. It is the unlimited strength of God. What's too difficult for Him? What's too, what's too hard a challenge for our God to overcome? Your unfixable marriage? Not even close. Your rebellious kids. Not even close. Your finances—that seems like the mountain you can't climb over. Not even close. Our God is unshakable. If we get a hold of the fact that that God is the one who is strengthening and empowering us, it changes everything for us. If you now listen to this real carefully, if look at the person next to you and say, "If, if." This is the whole theme of Ephesians. If you are in Christ. In other words, this doesn't apply to unbelievers. But if you are in Christ, you are no longer under the dominion of darkness. That's really good news. Hear it one more time. If you are in Christ, not if you are in church, not if you are a member of this church, if you are in Christ, if your hope and your trust is securely found in him and then you are daily placing your trust in him, you are no longer under the dominion of darkness. It means that temptation of sin and demonic power have no hold on you. It doesn't mean that they have no influence in your life. It doesn't mean you never feel the effects, but they have no hold. You are no longer what Paul de- described as a slave to sin if you are in Christ. You may feel the pressure, you may feel the allure of temptation, of demonic influence on your life, but you are no longer, hear this, a captive. You are no longer a captive to that sin that has taken hold of your life so strongly that you say, My whole life has just been dragged around by this. I would not be like this if I wasn't addicted. I wouldn't be like this if this hadn't happened to me as a child. Listen, listen to Paul's admonition to the church. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. All things that were former have gone, they've passed away, they've died. All things are made new in Christ. That's you. It is impossible to overstate the importance of that statement. If you miss that, you will live your whole life feeling like the devil has you by the tail. You just can't quite escape him. You just can't quite get out of his reach. But the reality is that God has the devil by the tail. Oh yeah, the devil's still active in this world, but he is a defeated foe. It's been settled already on the cross. Just a few verses, if you want to jot some of these down. John chapter eight, verse thirty-six. It's the only one I'm gonna to read to you. I'm gonna give you the rest of the references. It says, if the son sets you free, who's the son? Come on, church. Jesus. Jesus. If Jesus sets you free, you are what? Free indeed. This blows some of the modern philosophies of addiction out of the water. Come on, you know the mantra, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Because once it's in there, you just can't dig that thing out. I agree, once it's in there, you can't dig it out. God can make you dead to that and alive to him. You see this in some of those other verses listed. John 8, 32. Romans 8, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 7, 22. Galatians 5, 1. If you have even a second thought, I want to challenge you to go home and look these up and write them down. Write them down and declare them about yourself that in Christ I am a new creation. If you are in Christ, again, if your your hope and your trust have been placed in him for salvation, you're continuing to walk in that, you are no longer a slave to sin. There's some bad news that comes with that. It means if sin still has a hold on our life, we are choosing it. Yeah, it may, be, it may be an old pattern that is so ingrained in how you think, how you respond when stress and pressure comes up in your life. So something happens at work and it, it flares it up. And suddenly you feel yourself going into those same old ruts, the, the ruts that you've worn into the ground of your soul for 20 years your husband, your wife says something to you, and you feel yourself as if the cart jerks down into those same old ruts in your soul, and the same words start coming out of your mouth, the same attitudes start coming out of your mouth, that doesn't mean that you're not a new creation. It means you are choosing to walk in an old way that in Christ could be dead to you. Here's how we know we're choosing it, and I'm just telling you, this is going to ruin sin for you entirely. The next time you feel tempted to hit those old ruts, I want you to be aware that there's a moment of decision that's in there. Where someone sparks your anger, now that's not the rut, but someone sparks your anger and you have that flash in your mind. I could respond like this, or I could respond like this. And it is not without thought. We choose the old ways. But I'm here to tell you this morning as a Christian as one who Christ has set free you don't have to live there. Titus chapter 2 verse 12 says this, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age with your present wife, with your present husband, with your bratty kids, with your annoying boss, God teaches you to live in righteousness. It's possible. This is another one of those life verses you need to get a hold of. You see this. It's not just a New Testament concept. You see it painted throughout all of the Old Testament. It's called to be strong in the midst of battle. Joshua was urged. Now watch the progression here. Joshua was urged to be strong and of good courage. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, uh, verse 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy 31, 6, verse 7, verse 23. Again and again, Joshua, be strong. Joshua, be strong. But watch this. David, when he comes along, finds everything that he has ripped away from him his family has been stolen and kidnapped and first samuel chapter 30 verse 6 says that david found strength in the lord so it's not just a be strong pull yourself up be a man but now we're finding the strength in the lord and my favorite as the progression finishes it is a perfect foreshadowing of the new testament found in zechariah chapter 10 verse 12 God himself speaks of gathering his people back from exile, back from bondage to their homeland. And here's what God says, I will make them strong in the Lord. I will make them strong in myself. That all the calls and admonitions to be strong, to find our strength in God, ultimately it's God who says, I will do this for you. I am the one who makes it happen. So all this, this word To be strong is in a passive sense it doesn't mean that we are inactive yes God is acting upon us but he has called us to act as well verse 11 so put on the whole armor of God that's an action statement church put on the whole armor of God what does this have to do with us being saved and going to heaven anybody nothing Turn to the person next to you and say, I knew that answer. I was just afraid to say it out loud. Nothing. Put on the full armor of God. has nothing to do with your salvation, your standing, your righteousness before God. It just might have everything to do with how well things work out for you on this earth. Are you with me? Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Not stand before God as righteous or unrighteous, to stand on this earth against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. One Bible commentator put it like this, Paul now explains why believers need to be strong in the Lord and how his mighty power is to be appropriated. They are engaged in a deadly spiritual warf- warfare on the side of God against the devil. And if they are to prevail, they must put on the full armor of God. This is not if God will prevail over the devil. Right? Don't buy that lie that you hear from TV preachers either. Right? If you don't do this, God's hands are tied. God's hands are not tied. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe who will have his way and things will go his way. Here's what Paul's telling us. Uh, although your salvation may be secure, if you fail to put on these character qualities of God in your life, it may not go great for you on this earth. You may, you may be the Christian who limps through your entire life barely feeling like you're making it. You just drag yourself week after week to church to recover from your most recent defeat. Come on, does this sound familiar to any of us? Most recent defeat in your marriage, in your household, in the place that you work. The very things that Paul has just talked to us about, about how we put on Christ in those environments. The imperative is to put on the full armor of God. And it explains how we're to be strengthened in the Lord. So he says, be strong in the Lord. You ever feel like some of these religious statements are like so vague, they're impossible to fulfill? They're like the worst fortune cookies you could ever get. Right? After you've eaten way too much Chinese food at a buffet, they give you a tasteless cookie with, with paper inside of it, like every dessert that you love with paper stuffed inside of it. And then you open it up, and it's the most generic thing that only makes sense if you read it. Our family does with the, the phrase, in the bathroom, at the end of it. By the way, if you do that, it makes every fortune cookie fantastic. Uh, it, it's almost like we've done that, only we've added the phrase, in the Lord, to everything that we read in the Bible. So, be strengthened in the Lord. What does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds super spiritual. And if I'm a Christian, I'm going to have to pull that off. Paul is telling us specifically what it looks like to be strengthened In the Lord. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Another commentator, normally I would just say another commentator, but this guy's last name is Snodgrass. It's important to mention that. If you ended up with the last name of Snodgrass, man, best of luck to you. That's just something. Uh, He says, Mention of the schemes of the devil reminds us of the trickery and subterfuge. If you have the last name Snodgrass, you got to use words like subterfuge to make yourself sound better than your name. By which evil and temptation present themselves in our life. Now, Now, don't miss what he's saying here. Evil rarely looks like evil until it accomplishes its goal. Man, that's good. Evil rarely looks like evil in your life until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, perfectly legitimate, but it is a baited, camouflaged trap. Paul uses this imagery when he's talking about this of wrestling, this imagery of fighting. And wrestling is actually the most ancient sport in the world. It was one of the most popular sports in the ancient world, probably at the time that Paul wrote this, the most widespread sport. Now, one of my favorite little pieces of history on this, uh, if you know anything about wrestling, there's a couple different strands. You can go back to ancient Egypt and see pottery uh, with men wrestling on it. This, this competitive thing that God has built into guys, the girls just sort of stand back and shake their heads at, like, I don't know. You know, uh, you have a nice family gathering and they ruin it by wrestling in the middle of the living room floor, right? You've seen this if you have boys in your house. Uh, except the Greeks and the Romans had this idolatrous view of the human body, that the human body was actually the standard of perfection. It, it was this godlike representation. And so they would do their wrestling in the nude. Uh, now, again, it. Ladies, just picture it, right? Thanksgiving's coming up. So if, if your whole family's gathered together and then two of your brother-in-laws are like, let's do this, and they're stripping naked in the living room like this perfect show of manhood. Again, the women are like, no, no. So wrestling, wrestling had this wide popularity with men in a weird, creepy sort of way. Until this is, this is literally a true story. Uh, they were organizing some of these Olympic games uh, in different places, and one of the promoters, they've been going on for several years, one of the promoters got this idea. He's like, what if we could get women to do this? So they would meet in like a small field and have these, these games uh, go on until this guy convinced women to be part of the nude wrestling, and they suddenly needed amphitheaters. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Sin is prevalent in every age. I love, that. I love that this gets used in the Bible. So Paul uses this imagery of wrestling. They were used to seeing this man on man, flesh on flesh. Way too much flesh for most of us <laughs> with big sweaty naked guys. I don't know. But anyway, so have that, have that picture just ingrained in your brain. It's actually important that you have that because Paul then says, your enemy is not the person in front of you. That's what he does with this here. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. You are squared off against flesh and blood, but that's not your enemy. There may very well be a person right in front of you, but our struggle is bigger than that. It is with, and here's, it just sort of has these expanding circles here. It is against the spiritual rulers and authorities that are behind the physical rulers and authorities. You may very well have evil authority, evil men, evil women involved in your life. Whether it's those who have power and authority over you in a work environment, uh, in a city environment, in a government environment. And yet our flesh and blood in front of us is not our main foe. It's not our main adversary. It is a spiritual power that's behind that. And the next bigger circle, Paul uses the word cosmic powers. It's the only time in the New Testament that this word gets used. It's sort of this, in the whole cosmos there's these powers. And then past even what we can see in the natural heavens, he says, against spiritual forces of darkness, of evil in heavenly places. These are powers that are too big for you, little Christian. Little man, little woman. You cannot wrestle in your own strength against those powers. And so here's what he says in verse 13. Therefore, because that's true, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. And having done all, To stand firm. That if we clothe ourselves in the armor of God, if we throw our hope and our trust in Christ and Christ alone, that no matter what the day of evil looks like, and commentators kind of go back and forth on what that phrase means. Is it the day of evil that comes into your life, or is it talking about some end times cosmic collision of good and evil? And the truth is, it doesn't even matter. No matter whether it's the evil that hits you today or the evil that comes in the most fierce battle that the the devil could ever throw at heaven or earth, that in Christ you can stand. Yes, your opponent is too strong for you. You need to be strengthened in the Lord. This actually fuels our prayer if we believe this. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with prayerlessness? Yeah, I know I should pray. I just, man, I got so many other things going. I just don't have time to do that. You know why we say things like that? It's because we don't believe this is true. We don't believe that our enemy is too strong for us. I can actually do this if I just think right and act right. The reality is the devil is too strong for you, and he doesn't even put up a good match for Jesus. That's an important second half. You need the armor. You need the protection of his character, his righteousness, if you're going to stand. As we look through these, I want you to hear the echoes of putting on Christ. That's what Paul has said in Ephesians 4, that we are to put off the things of this world, put to death the things that are sin, and put on Christ. He's going to tell us how we do that. These are putting on the character of Christ, putting on his righteousness, putting on his truth, putting on this salvation that changes the way that we think, putting on his word, putting on that unshakable faith in him. So he says, verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So remember that this armor has been given to us for a purpose. It is to stand against what gets described as the wiles of the devil. His schemes, his plan. It's in Ephesians 6.11. The devil is sort of a, a hybrid of the Greek word for devil that we see here, which is diabolos. You see that in a whole bunch of different languages, the word diabolos. You actually have that same in Spanish And here's what it means. It means accuser and slanderer. The one who brings accusation against you, but it's not just an accusation of truth. It's truth mixed with lie. It's truth mixed with an accusation of things that are not true about you. And so he says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So let me ask you a question. What type of attack from the enemy is the belt of truth Designed to defend against. Lies. Yeah, well, you get an A for the day, Tim. Yeah, good job. Lies. This belt, and Paul is spending, he's writing this, he's spending most of his time being imprisoned by Roman guards. So just imagine every single day Paul is seeing the Roman guards uniform in front of him. The, the Roman centurion, the, the Roman uh, military look right in front of him. So he looks at that and starts painting these pictures of what it looks like to put on Christ. And so their belt wasn't just like your belt, which if you are under 30 is for decoration on your pants. And if you are over 40, it serves a purpose. <laughs> Amen. Uh, it, it wasn't just a, a decorative or something to hold your pants up. Uh, it was actually a leather belt that went around, and then it had leather apron straps that hung down to cover the thighs and what the Bible refers to as the loins. So to give you a modern interpretation of this, this was the original cup to be worn by the Roman centurion. Are, are you, do you guys know what cup is? Anybody else play baseball in here? Okay, uh, that this had an important function because if the devil is going to attack you with lies, he is going to hit below the belt. It's not going to be fair. It will be crippling and disabling, and you need a barrier of truth that can defend against that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. If we're actually going to walk in truth, to put on truth, it means that we have to take that as part of our nature and our character. That we we aren't those who speak little half truths to people because we either want to spare their feelings or we want to spare uh, our response to those feelings. Come on, let's be honest for just a second. Most of the time, we're not that concerned with sparing their feelings. We're really concerned that their feelings are going to turn towards us in anger. All right, that right? Or rejection. That we aren't those who speak, have truths to people. We aren't those who just speak untruths because we want to appease people and not have them angry at us. That as brothers and sisters in Christ, we speak the truth to each other. The second one, he says, is put on the breastplate of righteousness. Both of these things, righteousness, truth, they are character qualities of God. Remember, he said to put on Christ. How do we do that? We do it by putting on truth in our life. We put it on righteousness in our life. Isaiah 59, 17 tells us that God himself put on righteousness as a breastplate. Now, this isn't talking about saving righteousness, This isn't talking about the righteousness that makes you acceptable before God. Where he looked at you and he looked at all of your good works that you'd put on and he counted that as righteousness. That's not here. That that kind of righteousness actually does not exist. It's only in Christ that we are counted righteous. It's what Luther described as an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness that gets put on us, that we are at the same time sinner and saint until our full redemption comes. So what's he talking about here? If that's not what he's talking about, what's he talking about? Well, what does a a breastplate do? What's the purpose of a breastplate? It is to cover the vital organs against attack. It's what today gets called center mass. Like if you're going to shoot, Shoot at center mass because you're going to hit something vital. You're going to hit something important. And that is to be covered with the breastplate of righteousness. And here's what happens. In Christ, God may have given you righteousness that's not your own. He may have made you his own. He may have saved you. But then in our daily walk, we have not put on righteousness in every area. Oh, we've done pretty good with this part. We've done pretty good with this part. But we've got this big gaping hole in our righteousness. Usually it's not a surprise to us. We know all about it. We try and cover it up, hide it with other things, and every time it gets mentioned, we get really defensive. Oh, but this is, this is why I have this hole in my righteousness. This is why I'm allowed to act like this. This is, why, this is the thing that's happened to me. This is the thing that has tracked with me Remember the the thing at the beginning, if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed is so important here because it means we don't ever get to say, and because of that, this is why I get to compensate by being angry and taking it out on people. I get to compensate by drinking too much and making excuses for it. No, it's a hole in your righteousness where the enemy will effectively target and shoot against you. It doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. It means that you have a, an open door for the enemy to inflict grievous wounds in your life. So Paul says, put on righteousness as a breastplate. And then he has this, this phrase that's it's almost clunky in the English. It's equally clunky in the Greek here, where he says, Your shoes fitted for your feet, the readiness of the gospel of peace. It's clearly a reference to Isaiah 52 verse 7 where it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness and publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. It's this evangelistic call to proclaim the good news of our God's salvation. But I want you to notice in verse 15 there that this evangelistic call is fitted to your feet. Look back at your Bible, verse 15. Fitted to your feet, having your feet fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. This means you can't just take every evangelistic strategy out there and try and do it yourself. Anybody ever tried that? Like somebody else's evangelistic strategy not fitted to you and your personality and how you relate to people, how God has made you. You've done somebody else's thing, and then you felt like a complete idiot. Anybody? And it, it, Here's what it makes you do. I'm never doing that again. Ever. For some of us, that is what has happened with your sharing the gospel. You go, sharing the gospel must be somebody else's job because I tried it one time and I felt like, shoes fitted to your feet, I felt like the two-year-old kid who puts his dad's shoes on and then he can't walk right in them. Have you seen that picture? That's what it's been like and Paul says it's not supposed to be like that. That God has worked good news in your life in such a way that it gets fitted to who you are and you begin to share out of who you are, out of what God has fitted into your life that he makes you ready to share this gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, not in needed circumstances, not in really, really heightened moments of spiritual warfare, Not when you're feeling super spiritual. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There is something of faith and trust in Christ that if it is missing from a single moment of your life will translate into us not getting it right. We will look to people to fulfill what only Christ can fulfill, And this picture of a shield, you see in in imagery of a Roman soldier, it was about a four-foot shield by about two and a half feet wide that they would have used at this time. And it was kind of rounded so that if an arrow hit it, it would glance off. It was wood that was covered with leather on the outside. It was really effective. It's big enough to be effective. A single person could hide behind it and maneuver, and advance on a target, but it became really effective. The shield of faith, which is what Paul is pointing to, gets really effective when that one single soldier joins with a whole bunch of soldiers together, and they lock shields. When they would do this, they'd lock the shields together in front, on the sides, in the back, in the middle, guys would hold them up, and they would create the first moving tank that could advance on anything, This is a beautiful picture of the Christian versus the church. If we live our lives as the Christian, that the salvation that we have, the good news of this gospel, is enough for you to maneuver and get through life. But you want to see victory and you want to take down enemies in your life, you join up shield to shield, step by step, with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you find that there's no enemy that can stand against that. The Romans were an undefeatable force when they did this. In fact, I love that it says that shield of faith can extinguish all the flaming darts of the enemy. Everything that the enemy wants to throw at you. Here's the idea. Uh, the enemies would, would shoot volleys. This is before gunpowder, right? They, they weren't shooting guns at each other. Shoot volleys of arrow. They're, they're either going like, to shoot them at you or they're going to rain them down on top of you. But if they wanted to be especially brutal, then you dip those arrows in tar and then light them on fire so that you get the double blessing of being shot and burned. Super nice, right? We call that a really bad day when when one of those arrows finds its way home. Now, if you have a shield that's made out of wood and an arrow sticks in it that's on fire, what's going to happen to the wood? It's going to burn, right? Right? But here's, here's what Paul tells us. Those shields can extinguish all of the darts of the evil one. How does that happen? It only happened if the Roman soldier soaked his shield in water. If it's dry, that sucker is going to burn. The wood, the leather are going to burn. If it has been soaked in water, it extinguishes the fire it comes and the same is true for your shield of faith in your life if you are soaking your heart, your mind, your life in the word of God and the spirit of God and it, it's not like the weird just sort of sitting around like meditating like a buddhist monk or something like that there was a whole swing in the mid 90s of christians imitating buddhism just sitting around meditating it, this is meditating intentionally with our hearts our minds on the word of God soaking our spirit soaking the way we think in the word of God Everything the enemy throws at you, the word of God can extinguish. Every single one of them. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says this, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God is true. We can meditate, we can base our lives on the word of God. And if we do that, he is a shield when we take refuge in him. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Again, you see this reference to God putting on these same things. Isaiah 59 verse 17, he says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He, God, put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. There, there's something of imitating God and who he is, his nature and character, when we put on these elements of the armor. This helmet of, of salvation should mean that genuine salvation changes the way that we think. What, what did a helmet do? It, it protected the mind, because it, it, if you take an arrow to the head, it's all over. It's not even fun to think about, right? Like, you, you may have, as a guy, you may have this big macho thing, like, I could take an arrow to the shoulder or the arm because I want to do that macho thing of like grabbing it and <laughs> Rambo, snap it off, you know, something like that. Uh, you take an arrow to the head, it's all done, right? We, we finished for the day, right? We've, we've actually finished forever. Uh, because if you lose your ability to think, your mind, your control center, it is all over. Paul is saying that this salvation is to be put on our minds, and it should not only protect, but it should shape the way that we think about the world around us. That salvation is paired with the sword of the Spirit. And I love that he specifically tells us what he means by that, the word of God. Now we just looked at all of these reformers who said it is the word of God alone that is our authority. It's the word of God alone that is our strength. We will live and die based on what this word says. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Church listen if you Do battle in your life with earthly weapons. They are not strong enough for you. Weapons that are given to you by Dr. Phil or or some TV preacher that sounds like Dr. Phil. Those are not strong enough to get you through this life. Verse 18, we're almost done, says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert. Do not drift off for a single moment. Making supplication. Supplication is just a, a long word that means pray, which I don't know why they didn't say just pray, but they, they said make supplication uh, for all the saints. See, so you can go home and say, I learned something today. Supplication means pray. I thought I had something to do with supper, but no, it means, means pray. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says this, this good news has been a mystery. It, it's not like when, when the Roman Catholic Church uses the word mystery today. They're, they're talking about something that is mysterious and mystical and difficult to understand. That is not the concept of the, of the Greek word mystery that Paul uses in the New Testament. It always means unveiling. That which was previously unknown, but now has been made known. It is knowable. It is experienceable. It is something we can actually communicate that I have been called to make known that which was previously unknown. But if we're going to do that, we have to keep alert. With all perseverance, with diligent hard work. Is it God who works in us to strengthen us? Yes. But we have to work hard as well. Training ourselves in righteousness, determining to keep going. The Roman centurion, according to ancient historian Polybus, was to be the kind of person who could be relied upon under pressure, to stand fast and not give way. So, if we're going to survive the spiritual warfare that we are in, we have to have the same determination. The devil and his angels are strong, but Christ is stronger. Everything that hell can throw at you and throw at your family is not enough to rob you of the power of God in your life. The, the Christian can be strengthened in the Lord by putting on the full armor of God. Then he or she is able to withstand the devil's power. Last scripture 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says that we are to be sober-minded, to be watchful. And here's why. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So Peter says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, your suffering in your life, the struggles you are going through, are not unique. Man, isn't it when we're in the midst of some sort of struggle or suffering or pain that we go, this is literally the worst. Nobody knows what it's like to be going through this. Peter 2,000 years ago says, yeah, there's lots of people who know what it's like. This isn't unique to you. This is spread across the whole world. The devil has basically one plan, and that is to derail your life by getting your attention on the things around you and off of Christ. And if we stand firm, he cannot do that. The Word of God frees us. That, that sword of the Spirit is sharp. Sharp. Described elsewhere in the New Testament as a, a two-edged sword, able to divide right to the very heart of the matter. So Paul concludes this section by saying, so pray for me. If this is the call not only to Christians, but this is the call specifically to me. Paul, already in chains, already a prisoner, he says, pray that I may boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. That is the most backward phrase that you can imagine. An ambassador in chains. An ambassador is supposed to be the one who comes on behalf of the king. In fact, he is welcomed into the foreign country as if he were the king. As if he were the president. If our ambassador from America goes to another country, he represents America. The whole nation, the whole government, the whole people. The ambassadors should be welcomed and honored. And yet Paul says in this upside down world that's filled with evil, that we should expect not to be welcomed and honored, but to be ambassadors in chains. Where instead of honor, in the place of honor, we are greeted with things like imprisonment and for Paul, impending death. Yet here's what had happened. Paul had trusted. Paul had decided in Christ that his security was not found in what men thought or said or did towards him. It was in Christ and Christ alone and that Jesus is worth it. Church, that's my challenge to you. That, that's where I think this message turns and hinges towards us. Is Jesus worth it in your life? Is he worth going through the process of putting on this armor, putting on the righteousness of God, putting on Christ on a daily basis that says, I will walk in his truth. I will walk in his righteousness. I will carry the word of God in my heart and in my mind, and it will be in my mouth. Or are you convinced that you can get through this life on your own if you just try and be the best version of you? Let's stand together and pray. Lord, I'm aware even in saying those last words of the temptation that lurks in my own heart. God, how quickly I look to my own strength rather than to the strength which Christ provides. God, how quickly my own security in this world is blown out of the water by what others say or do towards me rather than being anchored in what Christ has already done on my behalf. Lord, if this is true about me, then I'm reasonably sure it's true about many of my brothers and sisters who stand here. And so I pray for myself, I pray for them. God, would you strengthen us in the Lord? Lord, not not make us more resolved to be better people, not make us more resolved to defeat every Goliath that comes into our lives. God, would you make us more resolved to put our hope and our trust in the Christ who defeats those giants? in the Christ who has already defeated the giant of the devil upon the cross, that he is a defeated foe. Open our eyes, God, through the helmet of salvation. Let us peer out and see that our salvation is secure, that there is evil on this earth, but that evil has been defeated, and there will come a day at Christ's return when that evil will be banished from this earth. Pray every day in between now and then, God, would you help us to trust in you, to depend on you, to walk in the righteousness that you provide. The Lord, as we come as sons and daughters, as those who were once far from you, but now have been brought near, would you remind us, even this morning as we take communion together, That it is your body that was broken for me that has secured my salvation. It is your blood that was shed instead of my blood, in place of my blood, that has covered me, that in Christ, that I can be free and free indeed. Lord, I pray that for myself. I pray it for my brothers and sisters. Would you help us believe that and put our trust in that? And then would you help us to then bind truth around us? Would you help us to put on righteousness in our daily lives? Would you let our feet be fitted with this gospel of the good news of what you've done in our hearts, in our minds? Would you put salvation as a cover over our mind? Would you put your word in our hand and an unshakable faith in who you are? as a shield around us, and send us out into a darkened world. For your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to take communion together. And again, if you are a believer in Christ, we welcome you to the table. Whether you're a part of our church, a member of our church or not, if you have trusted in Christ, then you are brothers and sisters with us. So on on this side there's wine, on this side there's juice. You can go to whichever side that you want. If you are not a believer, I would encourage you not to come this morning. But instead, right where you are, to search your heart and say, God, I need a Savior. Would you come and save me? So as the music plays, would you come and then we'll take the elements together in a little bit.